So good morning, everybody. Great to be with you. Thanks for, I was here three years ago. You asked me again, so it's your fault that I'm here again. <laughs> but um, yeah, I was already introduced. I have three children, one wife. The three children are now 20, 18, and 15. My wife and Laura, we are married now 23 years almost. It's quite amazing how quick it goes. But she's a good wife, most of the time, very good. <laughs> and, you know, marriage is a good thing. I encourage you to do that. It's getting better every year. And it's true, I'm so thankful for what God gives in many ways. Also, uh, the Tarnhof, where we are, it's a kind of a sport and mission camps and Bible school and so on. We do lots with sports. That's just the way we are wired there. Um, anyways, I've been in Toronto a few times now, speaking at the People's Church at different occasions. been up in Muskoka a couple of times, beautiful area. And so uh, I'm glad to be back. Also, Charles Price, the pastor of People's Church, is a friend of mine since more of 20 years. So it's good to meet him as well and his wife, Hilary. Anyways, for this morning, you, we had just heard the scripture verse. There are some verses in the Bible that just did not make sense to me. They, I, in Galatians 2.20, you don't even need to look it up, I just read it to you. Paul says, I am crucified with Christ and I no longer live. Colossians 3.3 says, for you are dead and your life is hidden in Christ. Romans 6.4 says, Therefore, you are buried with him by baptism into death. So, according to the New Testament, I'm crucified, dead, and buried. That sounds pretty dead. <laughs> now, reading this, I knew it's the truth. But I thought, well, how? I'm not dead. I feel pretty much alive. So what does this, what these words mean? Well, for, uh, to start with, I want to illustrate this point with marriage life and single life. I told you I'm married since a number of years. When a man marries a woman, now I speak this way because I am a man. It works the other way around just as much. When a man marries a woman, you must give up your single life. Men who marry but don't want to give up their single life, they struggle really bad. <laughs> it usually falls apart. Now, the difference between single life and married life is quite remarkable. The difference is this. Till yesterday, I slept alone in my bed. Now there is always somebody there with me. Till yesterday, all you possessed belonged to yourself. Now it belongs to both of us. Till yesterday, I talked to myself before going to sleep or with the Lord, which is fine if you're a Christian. But now there is always somebody you should talk to or can talk to. Till yesterday, you simply did what you thought is right. Now, if you plan your life, you always need to talk it with the other one, what's, what you do with your life. In other words, the old single person must die so that the new married person can live. And if you hold on to your old single life and to the rights of the old single life, your marriage will not work out well. Summary. When you get married, you're not dead, but you must die to your single life. That's the point. 
And it's very similar when you start a life with the Lord. In order to enter a new life with Christ, you need to die to your old single life where you determined what is good and evil, what is right and wrong, and how to go about your life because now you are in a marriage life. I use that analogy now with the Lord Jesus. And the difference between a life with or without Christ is also remarkable. Till yesterday, you lived your life without God, who did not exist in your mind. Now, you're aware of his presence all the time. Maybe you're not consciously aware, but you know he's here. Till yesterday, you never asked for the will of the Lord. Now you ask, God, what do you want with my life? Till yesterday, you were only responsible to yourself. Now you're responsible to the Lord. Till yesterday, you did everything out of your own strength. Now you can do everything out of His strength. Till yesterday, you didn't know much about the purpose of life. Now you know what you're here for, where you're going, and where you come from. In other words, you have to die before you live, so that you live before you die. That's the title of one of my books. That already confuses people, but then they buy it, you know, because I don't know what it means. <laughs> and this is why Jesus says, if you don't hate your life, and hate not in an emotional sense, but if you don't give up your life here, you can never live with me. That's the point. Now, what do we need to give up? And I want to make it as practical as I can. Yeah, I always need, sometimes I said in lectures and in sermons, whatever, I said, yes, it sounds right, but how does it work? How can I live this life? Well, one thing that helped me is, how can I die to my old single life in order to live in a new union with Christ life? Well, I need to give up some rights I claimed as though we are singles. You see, there are certain rights we claim. May, we may not be aware of it, but as I mention it and you think about it, you will notice, yes, I claim that right. We, for example, in our individualistic society, we believe we have a right for self-governance. I have a right to run my own autonomous lifestyle. Autonomous means you know, autumn means self and nomos is the law. I am my own law. And I determine how to live my life. And we believe we have a right for that. You know what I often ask those people, because it's a big thing today, of course. I ask, who gave you that right? And the answer is nobody. We just think we have it. Is he a right you can only claim if it's given to you? We also believe we have a right for relationships. I have a right to have a husband, a wife, sexual fulfillment. I have a right to be liked by my peers and so on. Now you see, I have a wife. And it's a good relationship, thankfully, we can have. It's a great privilege that I have. But if I come home, I go home in two days again, if I go home and my wife, for some reason, had an accident and is not there again, that will be very painful. But God has not violated any rights. Because it's only a privilege I have. I have three children. All three of them are healthy and pretty normal. 
more or less. It's a wonderful privilege to have three healthy children. But if I come home and one of my children, for some reason, had an accident and is not here on earth anymore, it would be very painful. But one thing I do know, God had not violated any rights because it's only a privilege given to me. We also believe we have a right for freedom. I have a right to do what I want, to go where I want, to live a life I live. By the way, you know, if you want to have relationships, forget freedom. If you want to have freedom, forget relationships. But sometimes we are so naive that we think we can have both. It just doesn't work. It's mutually exclusive. We also believe we have a right for possessions. I have a right for my car, for my 100 square meter apartment, for my stereo, for my computer, my iBook. And dare you touch that or take it away. Then you violate a right. Let me tell you that you have maybe a single room or a double room. Whatever you have, it's all a privilege. Now you hear then the thing, well, but I worked for it as a student. You know, I worked all summer to buy me this iBook, whatever. I earned every single dollar. Well, I'm very sorry, but that is not true. Deuteronomy chapter 8, it says there, Deuteronomy 8 and 17, it says very clearly, don't say, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is He who gives you the ability to produce wealth. He gives you the ability. I have news. You, you did not earn a single dollar. Did you produce the hands with which to work? The answer is no. Did you produce the eyes with which you can see? The answer is no. It's a gift. It's a privilege that we can have what we have. It's not a right we can claim. We also believe we have a right for physical health. I have a right to be energetic, beautiful, dynamic, healthy children, and so on. Health, wealth, prosperity movement comes from that as well. And if I get sick, I must blame somebody, God or man or somebody. But you know what? I'm now 48 years old. And I'm still relatively healthy. I love sports. I can still do most of the things I love to do. But you know what? If I'm not healthy anymore tomorrow, that will be very hard for me. But one thing I do know, God has not violated any rights if I lose my health tomorrow. And I don't need to blame anyone. I can only thank God for 48 years of enjoying a healthy body, which is a great gift. We also believe we have a right for physical, for mental, emotional health. And this is a big thing among Christians as well. When we say, you see, my upbringing hindered me to be what I could be today. And so we blame our parents, our friends, our teachers, or whoever, that I'm not what I am today, or what I could be today, because they have violated the right in this and this area. Now, Again, of course it is true that what you are today is largely a product of your past. There's no question about that. But when I say I'm 
Mentally healthy, well, not everybody would agree with that anyways. <laughs> but if I can think somehow straight, I'm thankful to God, it's a great privilege. But if for some reason I lose it, I don't need to blame anyone. It's not a right I can claim. Do you know that most of the bitterness, anger, comes out of the fact that we claim privileges as a right. And then we become bitter towards God and other people, sometimes toward ourselves. Comfort and convenience. We believe we have a right to be always comfortable and convenient. You can tell it in office where there are three secretaries. One opens the window. The next one closes it. Because everybody has a right for the right room temperature. The other one opens it again and then gets a bit of attention because everybody has a right. You see, we have privileges. We also believe we have a right among Christians, that's a big one, recognition. You know, in Christian circles you often hear, you know, there's the church bulletin and everybody worked or the uni bulletin, whatever you call it, and we did something together and there's a picture and you work just as hard as everybody else and everybody's on a picture but you are not. And then you say, I'm never helping again. My name is not mentioned. I'm not in. Nobody even thanked me. You see, I want to say to this, always recognize other people. Always do that, please, as much as you can. But if you don't get recognized at one point for something you did, you can relax. Nobody has violated any rights. It's a privilege. You know, for some Christians, even a tree is short crap in the hands when they do something good. We also believe we have a right for understanding. We think that I must always be understood, and some Christians think they need to be understood by the other one without explaining their problem. I had people who come to Tarnhof, our Bible school place, and there's a couple of people that I heard, not many, thanks God, they said, yeah, I was at Tarnhof, but nobody understood me. And I said, well, did you tell anybody your problem? No, I didn't, but nobody understood me. Because we should smell it. <laughs> but you see, again, let me say, be as understanding as you can towards your peers, towards other people. Please be that. And be sensitive. But if you don't feel understood at one point, you can relax. Nobody has violated any rights. It's a great privilege to be understood. If you are, thank God for it. But if you aren't, thank God as well. It's not a right to claim, it's a privilege we have. Justice. We always believe everything must be just when it comes dealing with me. If you believe that, you will live a dreadful day for the rest of your life because you encounter things every week that are not just. That's fine, relax. You don't have a right for justice. You see, a right I can only claim if it's given. For example, if I buy a car, a new car, and I have a guarantee of this car for two years for whatever, and this breaks in these two years, I have a right to take it back and I have the right to claim that it's fixed because the right is given to me. But we constantly claim rights that nobody gave to us. Only privileges. Life is a gift, not a right. 
Safety and security, this is really bad in our Western world and in North America, even worse than in Europe. We think we always have to be safe and secure. You know, if something happens, if I walk on the road and I fall over a thing, I go and sue the, the city council because they left this thing here. Because I think I have to be safe and secure. No, that's not a right that we can claim. This is totally unbiblical. This whole suing business, never get into it, by the way. You may win a lot of money, but you will probably lose the blessings of God. It's completely unbiblical. We also believe we have a, life, a right to life itself. And when somebody dies at the age of 40, we say that's an untimely death. I don't believe in untimely death. Because life is a gift. Now, having said what I said, those rights... The Bible teaches very clearly that when we surrender our life to Christ, with the surrender, we give him all our rights that we claim to have and say, Lord, it's all yours. I give it to you. This is what this passage means. If you don't die to your old life, you can never gain the new. In Matthew 10, uh, Jesus puts it very straight. Matthew 10, 37. I just read this um, passage to you, Matthew 10 and verse uh, 27. I never liked this passage. Um, 37, it says there, anyone who loves his father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves his son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And anyone who does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life or keeps his rights will lose it. And whoever loses his life or loses his rights given over, he will actually find them. And so the biblical truth is that we have given our rights to God. That's what it means to die to the old nature. Now the question is, how do we practically deal with our rights? And I want to encourage you, this is very personal. You do with it what you want to do. It's your decision. But I want to encourage you you can only gain. First, identify the rights that you have violated. I call this the inner turbulence. Sit down, take half an hour, sit down and say, what is the one thing that I cannot live without? I don't surrender this to God. What is this one thing? It may be your computer, it may be your stereo, it may be your girlfriend, it may be whatever, your health. You may say, Lord, I want to serve you, but I must get married. If I don't get married, over. That's the right you claim. Whatever it is that you say to God, this is the thing I must have. And this is not easy, by the way. It, if you do that honestly and seriously, it rarely goes without tears. Because you feel like everything you held on to is, is falling apart. And so identify those rights, write them down. And I had quite a list. And then take those rights, second step, and transfer those rights over to God. Say, God, here you have it. It's all yours. I call it the prayer of surrender. Let go of all your securities, all your rights that you think you have, 
and give them over to God. What, I, what we do a lot is rock climbing. I love rock climbing. It's, uh, I've been a mountain guide, so that's my profession. And often we take groups and we go up a mountain peak and we stand on the mountain peak and then we do rappelling. You know, you have a harness and you rappel down. It doesn't matter how high it is. Just make sure the rope is longer than the thing is high, otherwise you have a problem. <laughs> and, and it's so fascinating. They stand up there at the top. It's always the same thing. And then you, they look down. It's really far down. And they hold on to everything. As I, I just say, fall back, let go. And enjoy the ride. But you know, it's very hard. And then they start to hold on everything. And when they get my hair, I help a little bit. <laughs> and then, you know, it's always fascinating. Once they hang, they fall, and then they hang. They say, wow, that really holds. <laughs> if I asked them before, do you believe the rope holds you? They all say, yes, of course. But they cannot let go. We all theologically, theoretically say, yes, Jesus is enough. But is he really? Is that the way we live? Or are we holding on all our rights and are so afraid to let it go? I want to close with a personal story. It's, it's now almost 20 years ago. I went for a prayer walk and I, I, I usually walk when I pray. That's just the way I'm wired. It works better for me. And uh, sometimes I walk for a whole day. That's maybe once a year or whatever or twice. And I went for a prayer walk for this day. And I never experienced a prayer walk like this before or since. But God asked me very clearly four questions. And as I walked, the first question was, he said, Hans Peter, I know you love your country, Austria, the mountains, and so on. I live in the middle of the mountains there. You know, um, Sound of Music, kind of, this is the area. <laughs> And he said, I know you love it, but you know, I want you to go to China or to England or to Africa tomorrow. Is that okay with you? And it was so real. That's what I mean. I never had that before or since. It was so real. I knew if I say yes now, I'm in China tomorrow. <laughs> and I thought about all the implications, selling the house, doing this and this. And I said, well, Lord, it's not really what I want. But if there is no other way that I can serve you on this globe for these few years, it's okay. Let's go to China or to Africa or England, whatever. Then the second question was a lot harder. He said, Hans Peter, I also know that you love your wife. And back then we had two children, very small then. He said, but you know, Hans Peter, I would like to use you as a single man as of tomorrow. Is that okay with you? And that was very hard. Because I knew if I say yes now, I come home and there will be a note in the kitchen or on the door that says, your wife and the two kids just had an accident and all three of them are dead. Now I thought about it, I said, Lord, this is the last thing that I ever thought would happen to me. It's the last thing that I can imagine in my life. But I came to the point, and this is why I said it's under tears. I said, Lord, if it's the only way that you want me to live on this earth these few years, it's okay. Then there came the third question, which was even harder. He said, Hans Peter, I know you enjoy your health. You love sport and you're thankful for that. 
But Excellency, I would like to use you in a wheelchair as of tomorrow. Is that okay with you? That was very hard. I have friends who are in a wheelchair, so I know a little bit the implications and the lifestyle. I said, Lord, may it never happen. It's the last thing that I ever thought that I have to live that way. But again, I came to the point where I said, Lord, if there is no other way that I can ever serve you, it is okay. There was a fourth and the last question, he said, and that was a hypothetical one. But he said, Hans-Peter, what about if I take myself out of your life? And this is, it was so interesting because it was almost like a pain a physical pain in my heart, I said, Lord, you can take away everything, but not yourself, because you are my life. For the first time I understood that moment, Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ. I do die again. You know what I experienced after this prayer? It was the hardest I ever prayed. After that prayer, I experienced total freedom. Never before I had experienced that. You know what I knew? I knew God, the world, or Satan can take away my country, my career, my family, my health, even my life, my physical life. But one thing that nobody can take away from me, my life. And this is why Jesus says, the truth will set you free. And if the sun sets you free, the sun, you will be free indeed. This is when for the first time I understood this in reality in my own life. And I just wish it for everybody else. And that's why I told you. Let's pray. Father, we want to thank you for this time together. We want to thank you for your kindness towards us, for your love, that you are the source of our life and the consummation of our life. You are the life. That's what you said. I am life and I want to give you life and in abundance. Father, even having said what I said and you ask me those questions, I look back and I can see today I still am in Austria. I'm still... I have my wife, I still have healthy children. Father, it's so many privileges. And Father, many of us, all of us, can look back and say, I have so many privileges. And Father, I want to thank you for those. And I don't want to misuse you and the privileges you've given me. So Father, I entrust these young people here into your hands. Because... I pray, Lord, that they see that you only want the best for them. Even if we lose things here on earth, you know what we need. And I pray that we open to receive and trust you that you are good. Amen. I want to just... Speak a blessing and then you're dismissed. I, I always read, it's my favorite blessing. I read it to you. May our God fill your life with his power. 
that you are able to lack things but not become hard, that you can suffer but not break, that you can live with disappointments but not give up, that you can become guilty without despising yourself, and that you can live with unanswered questions but not lose hope. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you. And may he give you his peace.